If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. I just want you to know this morning as we get going, we're going to be, we're, we're doing like we do every week here. We, we study and we preach from the Bible. I love the Bible. Uh, the psalmist said, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day long. And though I grew up in a very uh, loving and, and religiously devoted home, uh, the Bible was rarely read and never studied. Uh, it was more of a religious relic than it was something that, was, you know, that we would actually look at and read from. And yet Jesus himself said, in his own words, he said, He who is of God hears God's words. So we need to pay attention to his words, right? The Apostle Paul said all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful, it's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That makes the Bible really important, don't you think? To both read and to study. And so we continue in our study of the book of Genesis this morning, going through it chapter by chapter, although uh, many of you will notice that I just uh, jumped over a chapter, and, uh, but we'll get to that here in a moment. The chapter itself is chapter 11, and here's what the first nine verses have to say. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found... Uh, a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city. (laughs) That just makes me laugh every time I read it. And the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. The problem was not that they were, going to be, they were becoming a threat to God, but they were becoming a threat to themselves. And I'll explain that in a few moments. So God says, uh, Behold, they are... One people, as I said, then come, verse 7, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. They left off building the city because it's kind of hard to understand one another when you can't understand one another. Therefore, its name is called Babel because... There the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So here we are as we continue our study of Genesis, and you'll notice we just skipped over chapter 10 because we studied chapter 9. And and you'll be thankful if you look at chapter 10 because it's just a bunch of genealogies. If we studied that verse by verse, you'd be going, ah, pull my hair out, you know. So and so begot so and so begot so and so. Although it is... It does provide some fascinating study. It does, you get, it's the table of nations, and we could all probably chase our ancestry back to one of those lineages, the children of Noah. But I just want to refer to one interesting study, and that's the name Nimrod. He's in chapter 10, and in verse 8, if you go over there, it says Cush. He's the son of Noah, or I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, of Ham, rather. Fathered Nimrod, he was the first 
on earth to be called a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was, ready for this? There it is, Babel, where we get Babylon. So here's Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah, okay? I, I, uh, uh, it's no secret, growing up, I was a rebellious kid. I was a very rebellious teenager. My friends could tell lots of stories. Don't ask them for those stories. But they could tell you. They know where all the bodies are buried, the whole nine yards. My first attempt at open rebellion was to leave my Catholic high school for totally non-religious reasons, non-spiritual reasons, non-theological reasons. I hated the wrestling coach. And my parents told me I was going to have to pay a portion of my tuition. I said, forget that. And so I, I'll show them, and I left, and I went off to the public school just being a stupid, rebellious kid. Anyway, I ended up with a couple of different sets of friends because I had my friends from my, from my Catholic education, and I had my public school friends. And, and uh, one of my public school friends was, uh, grew up in a Bible-believing church, even though he himself was not a follower of Jesus. But he got the jargon, he heard the names, he'd read the stories. And because my name was Nimmers, he nicknamed me Nimrod. And I thought, that's a cool name. Kind of a rough, tough name. And look, oh, he's a warrior, you know. And the more I look into Nimrod, the more I see, yeah, I really was kind of like him. Nimrod was a rebel. In fact, the name Nimrod literally means we will rebel. I was a rebel. Nimrod was proud. And his kingdom would become Babylon. There's, there's good evidence that in chapter 11, Babel is the key that well we know he's the one who was running the show he was cobbling these people together it was Nimrod that was doing that now I didn't have a kingdom but I was a very very proud individual um, in my youth sports wise I was a wrestler and uh, after I got done in high school you know what they, they had, back in the day back in the 70s they had these things called old timers wrestling tournaments they were I mean people would just by the hundreds would come into these tournaments, mostly guys who never accomplished what they wanted to do in high school, but thought they'd do it later on. And it would become just a rowdy, rowdy crowd. And I was right out of high school, and I was at this weight class cutting through there, acting as cocky and as proud as you could possibly be. I was thinking about that scene in Gladiator. You ever seen Gladiator? Uh, remember the scene where, uh, where Russell Crowe's master says to him, you know, you've got to start entertaining the crowd. He says, because if you win the crowd, you'll win your freedom. Do you remember that? And so, <laughs> let me tell you something. I wasn't winning any crowd. <laughs> I mean, I've learned on that day that not only does God hate pride, so do people. I mean, the whole crowd became, went against me. I was so cocky. And so I was just like... Nimrod. Nimrod was a fighter. In fact, the phrase mighty man literally means fighter. And it doesn't mean like in a valiant way. He was just a fighter. That's what I was. I was a fighter. I was just a, I had a chip on my shoulder. And I was a fighter until God got a hold of me. Taught me how to fight a good fight. But Nimrod's way is the way of Babel. And that sets the stage for chapter 11 where we just read. And so you have Noah emerging from the ark with, you know, with with his seven others. And as we said last week, there was this stowaway on the ark. The stowaway was the hidden passenger was sin, hidden in the hearts of all those individuals on the ark. Sin made its way out. So as Noah emerged from the ark into a brand new world packed with an age-old problem, sin. 
sin, as it always has, separates us from God. That's the nature of sin. The nature of sin is to separate us from God. And it, what, it, what it does is sin manifests itself in at least three things in this chapter. By rebellion, by pride, and by a kind of fighting resistance to God. And if those of you, especially those of you that are teenagers, but really don't fool yourself because as Spurgeon said, there are many a gray, many a black hearts lay under gray heads. <laughs> People resisting the word of God. That's what sin does. God had told Noah and company to, he said, he said be fruitful and multiply and what? Fill the earth. In other words, reproduce and don't stay in a bunch. Multiply and move out. And they, what, what happens here is the ancestry of Noah do the exact opposite. They resist God and they end up where we have here building this famous Tower of Babel. And so I want you to notice it's, it says again, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Isn't that kind of redundant? Sounds like the same thing, doesn't it? Uh, except to say if you were to have a conversation, a five-minute conversation with some of our African friends here or, uh, or British or Irish friends, you'd find out they have the same language but not necessarily the same words. I remember running into Gemma and James, two of our Irish friends. Before Gemma was a Christian, I saw them at a, at a, health, a fitness club and I, I, I said, hey, what's going on? And she looked at me and she goes, well, we're just having a hoolie here. I said, okay, whatever that is. So language, but, but, the, but the idea here is they didn't just speak the same language. They used the same verbiage. They understood each other perfectly. And what could be wrong and what could go wrong? Well, the answer would be nothing in a perfect world, but this was anything but a perfect world. It was a sin, just like our world, it's a sinful world. Imagine if you had one language, one word, which brings up this incredible unity, which is the world wants. You know, if we all just have unity. What if Hitler had unity? What if Stalin had unity. What if ISIS was able to just explode and have unity? There would be unity. We'd speak the same language, but it would be awful oppression, would it not? So as these people migrated from the east, the scripture goes on to say, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now this area is the area of modern day of Iraq, Mesopotamia. It's between, the, you see, we have a map here to put up there for you. Just This is the area, it's the same area where Babylon is. This is the plain, the flat area, but it's also very fertile. This is where they're settling. What's fascinating here is that the writer now goes from just giving us a, a history and a geography to the actual dialogue amongst these rebels that were resisting the way of God. Look again to what they say. They say to one another, come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly, which is how you make bricks. And they had brick for stone, bitumen for mortar. They said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So what I want to do for the, the, the gut of our time here is to break down the aspirations of these rebels and see if you find yourself here. Okay, here, the first aspiration, let's make our own way to heaven. That's the idea in the line, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches into heaven. So this deals with, remember we talk about sin unpacks itself first with rebellion. They're clearly rebelling against God. And they want to build this 
tower? What did it look like? I mean, people have all kinds of images, but archaeology has, has unearthed several of these things that are called ziggurats. These ziggurats, uh, this is probably something like it looked like. Uh, it was probably something like th- 300 feet high if you're in a flat plain. That's a pretty high thing. And what, was the, what the purpose of it is clearly to try to communicate with God because the ziggurat that Nebuchadnezzar would build in the, in the middle of Babylon, the city of Babylon, many years later, that ziggurat had a name, and here's what the name of that ziggurat was, the house of the platform between heaven and earth. So that tells you what the purpose of those ziggurats was. That tells you what the purpose of this tower was. The purpose of the tower was to get to be able to communicate to get to God so he can communicate with men, which is a, you know, this is, God had already provided a way to communicate with them, but they had to go their own way. And any way you cut it, man has always been trying to make his own way to God. Even Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray, and then watch this, we've turned each one to what? Your own way. That is our nature. Our nature is to rebel against the way of God and do it our own way. Jeremiah, another prophet, said, Oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Have you ever read that? And Jesus said simply what? I am the way. Right? I am the way. I mean, my Father's Day last week, I got a card from... uh, one of my daughters, it was titled, uh, Top 10 Things a Dad Would Never Say. You can just almost imagine what some of these are. Like the first one is, why, yes, you can have more money. I've got an endless supply of it. Uh, here's another one uh, we, we can relate to, guys. I'm tired of changing channels. You take the remote. And this one, it shows a car in the middle of a desert, driving down the road with it on vacation, it says, I admit it, we're lost. <laughs> Things a dad would never say. Well, the problem is, when you're trying to make your own way, you're destined to get lost. Actually, the Bible says you're already lost. And yet Jesus told us in his own very purpose statement, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the the lost. That's good news for us, especially for those of you who are incessantly trying to make your own way to heaven. Secondly, the second aspiration is let's make a name for ourselves. That comes right out of the text. Let's make a name for ourselves. So if the first one is the aspiration that is rebellious, the other is pride. I mean, you name the profession among us here from politician to pastor, from athlete to actor, from inventor to innovator. Everyone wants to make a name for themselves. It's in your DNA. You want to make yourself great. You want to somehow secretly, subtly, somehow, and whatever you do, make yourself better than the next guy. Or we work to save our reputations. We hate to have somebody expose us for some, something we didn't, you know, we don't want somebody to know something about us that just lowers our reputation. That's just pride. Babylon, which Babel would come out of, would, it was symbolic, was, 
was synonymous even with pride and arrogance. Remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of all the earth. Daniel, he's so proud, Daniel comes to him one day and says, you got to stop what you're doing, Nebuchadnezzar. You need to turn back to the sovereign Lord while there's time to do it. And the Bible goes out of its way to tell us 12 months later. Talk about the rope that God gives Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later, this proud, boastful king is, finds himself on the top of Babylon looking at this you know, seventh wonder of the world And he says, these are the words he says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built with my mighty power and for my glory? And boom, God puts a smack down on him right there. Turns him into an animal-like figure for seven years until he finally humbles himself and looks up and recognizes that God rules in the kingdom of men. When I was in this old-timer wrestling tournament that I was just referring to earlier, uh, I was... You know, again, I was, I, I was young. I was right out of high school. I was cocky. I was proud. I'm cutting right through. I'm wrestling guys who are like 60 years old. They weren't that old. But, you know, all these guys who think they could do something. Anyway, I find myself in the championship round. And the crowd cannot stand me because of the way I'd been acting. And when I, I'm wrestling with this guy, a tremendous wrestler, we're going back and forth. And gets, we get deep into the second period. I shoot in on him to take him down, and he hits me with a headlock. The tightest headlock I'd ever been hit with, hit with and I was pinned. And when I got pinned, the crowd went wild. <laughs> they went wild. I mean, I saw that. I mean, again, not only does God hate pride, people hate pride too. And I learned the truth of Scripture without even being a Christian. That pride goes before the, literally, before the fall. People love seeing pompous, pride, proud people. Don't you? You do too, secret. You love seeing a proud person get what he's got coming. But from Alexander the Great to Caesar Augustus, to Stalin. Stalin used to tell his people who he personally oppressed, oppressed to say, think when you're weary, think of me. To the new leader of, not so new, of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, whose reign, whose regime, by the way, in North Korea, requires everyone to have the dear leader's picture. That's his grandfather's picture and probably his father's picture as well. In their living room, in every home, and on pain of death, they were to save, they are, they are to save that portrait if there's a fire or a flood. And in fact, if there's evidence that they didn't att- attempt to save the portrait, they could be in prison, and some of them are today because of that. How ridiculous. And yet the seed of self-idolatry is in every single one of us. All of us, right down to puny you and me. We worry about our names. We worry about our reputation. We worry about our looks. We worry about what people think. We worry about what we're leaving somebody else. We ought to remember what Psalm 49 says, though they called lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. He's like the beasts that perish. We should, take the, um, we should take the advice of Jeremiah the prophet who said to his amanuensis, his secretary, so to speak, Barak, in Jeremiah 45.5, he said, do you seek great things for yourself? Don't seek them. That's pretty good advice. <laughs> do you seek great things for yourself? 
Here's my advice. Stop doing that. <laughs> That's what Jeremiah says. That's good advice. Interestingly, when we get to the next chapter and God calls out Abraham, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. So you've got a contrast here. See, God's the one who lifts one up and puts down another. God's the one who makes us great or not. But when we seek our own personal greatness, when we deem ourselves great, God will either turn us into, God will turn us into fools, either in this life or in the next. So I've got, I've got something better for you to seek. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's what you ought to do. So, one more aspiration here. The other aspiration out of the text is this. Let's rise up against God. Now, that's, that, that's implied in the statement, hey, we got to do this. Let's stay together. Let's build a tower. Let's d- develop our own system of worship. And because if we don't, we're going to be, quote, dispersed throughout the whole earth, which, by the way, is exactly what God told them to do, right? So this is what I meant when I said sin manifests itself in rebellion and pride, a kind of fighting resistance against God. What they're trying to prevent is the very thing God had told them to do, multiply and move out. Instead, they're multiplying, but they're staying together to formulate their own kind of worship, which is exactly what some of us are doing, either obviously or not so obviously. Listen, when you rise up against God, God will come up against you. Actually, he comes down. Look at the text again. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built, which is almost comical, isn't it? I mean, you can almost just imagine what's going on in heaven. It's like, Gabriel, come here. Check this out. Michael, get over here. Are they trying to make their way up here? Do you think God sees this? Of course, God sees everything. Well, he's got to be getting a kick out of this. And by the way, God does laugh at some things like this. Look at what the psalm, how the psalmist put it, Psalm 2. It says, why do the nations rage? And that's what these nations of people were doing. And the people's plot in vain. Isn't this a vain attempt? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, let's just, let's just let's get away from God. Let's do our own thing. He who sits in the heavens, what? He what? He laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. There's nothing funny about what God is seeing here, though. Because he just got done destroying the earth a few generations earlier. Now look what's going on. So he goes down. The Lord came down. Listen, no matter how high you build yourself up in this world, God will have to come down to meet you. In this case, in judgment, that should give pause to yourself. The next time you're ready to you know, explode on regaling all of your wonders of yourself. And bragging. But here's good news. If you recognize and acknowledge your lowliness, God will come down. Not in judgment, but in grace, right? Though the Lord is on high, the psalmist said, yet, the psalmist says, yet he regards the lowly. But the proud he knows from afar. Have you ever read that? James put it best, right? God resists the proud or stiff arms the proud. And gives what? Gives grace to who? To humble people. That's who he gives grace to, right? So 
not for these rebels. God has to come in judgment. And basically what he does, what they will not do in obedience, God has to do through disciplinary or judgment, call it what you will, and scatters them. And confuse, he confuses them first, and of course, because they can't understand each other, they scatter. And, and this, these are probably the beginnings. This is, this is the root of where all languages and differing languages come from. This is probably the root of where different features and skin tones uh, from every kind of people on earth come from. Because what happened is, and this is scientific theory, I, we can't be dogmatic about this, but apparently the result is these, these people group fanned out and whatever dominating features that they had began to prevail within those pockets of groups and that's the reason, that's the way we got all the skin colors and tones and bone structures and everything else in this world. The genetic line just started to pop up where they were at. Anyway, Babel becomes Babylon and Babylon would forever becomes symbolic of false religion. That in reality is opposing God. So when you go to the flip side of the Bible, you go all the way to Gen or Revelation 17 and 18, you've got, you've got this false system. God calls it Babylon. And what he calls Babylon, watch this, he calls Babylon, the false religious system, a whore or a prostitute. They're not prostituting their bodies, they're prostituting their hearts. Just like some of you are doing right now. You've given your heart to materialism. You've given your heart to reputation and fame. You've given your heart to self-love, narcissistic kind of love. That's all in opposition to God. All of that is. And that's what then sin will cut you off from God. By the way, if those who oppose God are called prostitutes. Those who are with him are called the bride. So what are you, a prostitute or a bride? The proof's in the pudding. By the way, there is actually one thing that will, that will get you to God, or reach God, I should say, other than through faith in Jesus. Your sin. Listen to what God says about Babylon in the book of the Revelation. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. For her sins are heaped as high as what? Heaven. Remember when God called Jonah? He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, because their sins have come up against me there. There's stench in my nostrils, so to speak. How ironic that what Babylon couldn't accomplish by their resourcefulness, they accomplished by rebellion, getting God's attention, and not in a good way. If a nation comes to a place that it rejects the true God or develops their own gods or doesn't believe in any God at all, like our own political system today. It is Babylon. And if you as an individual have come to a place where you refuse to worship the one true God as he has given to it to us in the word of God that we sang about earlier, you are Babylon. So I just want to conclude by talking to four groups that are in this room. First, I want to talk to the church, to the church of Jesus, to those of you who are truly saved, 
truly born again, truly are redeemed, truly have a relationship with Jesus. Here's my admonition to you. Why don't you join a construction crew, the master builder himself being Jesus, building a house, building a structure, building a building that will last forever. The kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ, Stone by stone by stone being people who place their faith in Jesus. Why don't you get involved in that construction project instead of making it all about yourself? Is it any wonder that our world so often doesn't recognize the difference between the church and the non-church because they're so much the same? In your attitudes, in your pursuits, let's get involved in a real construction project. I would speak to those of you that are seekers here. Those of you who are still trying to get it figured out. Still trying to understand what is the true way to heaven. I would say to you, stop looking at every shiny object that comes across your bow. Everything that's cool and it's hip and great oratory. The, you know, the, the preachers that are out there just, you know, as they say, tickling your ears, telling you what you are, telling you how wonderful you are. Every one of those things, whatever, they'll leave you empty and by yourself at the altar. Look to Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, for the promise of life everlasting, and to become a stone in a building that never ends. Stop looking and go to Jesus. And I would say to you, who are resistors, and you know who you are. It doesn't matter if you're young or you're old, because as I said earlier, like Spurgeon said, there are many dark hearts that lay under gray heads. You're resisting the truth of God. Forsake your failed plans to build a name, leave a legacy, gather a fortune. You're just going to leave it to the next generation anyway. I had somebody tell me, a friend tell me recently, you know, he's got a plan. He's going to retire at a certain age. And he said, boy, if I end up in the casket before that age, I, there's gonna, that's going to be one angry person in the casket. I thought, yeah, and forever angry. Because we're all going to end up in the casket someday. Right? Lay down your broken hammers and saws and trowels and trembling blocks and worthless towers. And come to Jesus, who is the true cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of the great building that never ends, the church of Jesus Christ. And if you're still confused, that's the last group I want to talk. Those of you who are still, you're confused. By the way, the word babble here, the word babble originally meant gates of the gods. God turned the gates of the gods into a door of confusion. Which is where some of you are at right now. Let, let, let me clear things up for you. You don't need to build a tower. You need to kneel at a cross. That's what you need to do. Stop making a name for yourself. And come to the one who the Bible describes as the name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, by the way, every knee will bow. Whether things in heaven or things on earth or things under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're going to do it someday. You're going to do it. So forsake these worthless ways and these 
house of cards that you're building because they're all coming down. And no matter how much you build yourself up, God's going to have to come down. So you might as well lower yourself instead of raise yourself because then God will come down in grace. He'll save you. He'll change you. And you can become a part of the greatest construction project ever to come to this world with the master builder himself leading the way, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for the story of the Bible, for the story of the Tower of Babel. And Lord, this gateway to heaven became a doorway of confusion to these people who resisted you in their rebellion, their pride and fighting resistance. And I pray right now for this group that's in this room right now who would find themselves in those categories. There, there are people in this room, Lord, that are resisting you. Their pride is welling up against the ways of God. They're fighting against you, Lord. They can't win this thing. I pray today you would show them they can't win. And they would humble themselves so that you would come down, not in judgment, but in grace. And they would find themselves lifted up. I pray for the church here, Lord, that really knows Jesus, the ones who really know you. They would do some serious introspection today, Lord, about what we're building in our lives. What, what are our pursuits? Are they eternal? Are we joining your construction project? And I pray you would cause a, a passionate desire amongst us to do so. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.